Welcome aboard, Captain. to the Rathacon Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and matter reorganize Star Trek II, the Rathacon, one minute at a time. I'm Chris LaSalle. And I'm David Stoker. Hey, Dave. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, so it is Friday, and we are here talking about Minute 45 of Star Trek II, the Rathacon. Minute 45 starts with Carol saying, matter is reorganized. It ends a minute later with Spock asking, have they proceeded? Have they proceeded indeed? Yes. Um, so this is the uh, uh, fun minute where we get to see uh, the Genesis effect simulation yep. uh, happen. Um, with uh, Carol uh, uh, Carol narrating, I guess, as, uh, as, as we go along. Um it's super fun. It is. I do. This... I do. I do love the Genesis, Genesis simulation. I, I love it for you know it's a great part of the movie. You know we get to see the the matter reorganize and you know we do instead of the dead moon we see a living breathing planet, which ah. is really cool. Um, but I love this part for what it does for movies in general. Like this this scene like will catapult special effects into a new direction. Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, this is, uh, um, and I know uh, I've mentioned you, it a couple times, but yeah, I just, we'll go for it. Right. This is, uh, this was the, one of the first, uh, uh, first full complete CGI sequence, uh, in a feature film. Right. Uh, way back in 1982. And, uh, you want to talk about where it, how it all came to be. So this was done, you know, it's part of actually, uh, Lucasfilm, uh, owned a, owned a group or, uh, had a division, the Lu- Lucasfilm Graphics Group, which was also called the Computers Graphics Project. Um, and they developed the retina scan scene that we saw last couple of minutes, and they developed this scene. Um, you know, ILM, I, I believe, as, as I read on some of the forums, ILM was looking for a way to to do this, do this scene. And they had heard some of the things that Computer Graphics Project was doing um, I know, like uh, Ed Catmull was was running that, and they had developed the, you know, his big project was the hand. Like he created the the 3D model of his own hand, which I believe they actually used in um, Westworld. Oh, um, really? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and um, I think there was another project they had done with someone's face. Might have been Ed's wife, and they used that face in in uh, Westworld as well. Um, but this was like the first like fully realized scene of computer graphics that they had used. Yeah. And you know, Oh, go go ahead. ahead. No, I was, no, I was uh, adding uh, commentary to it. Right. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously, you know, computer generated and stuff. And, and uh, you know, by today's standards, it's, you know, you tell, right. It's not, it's not photorealistic or anything like that, but what, what makes it still work in this film is that it's, 
a demonstration. It's a simulation, right? Yes. So just by calling it that, you immediately forgive it for, well, it's supposed to look fake. It's not supposed to look real. Right. Um, and, uh, but it's still, man, it's still fun to watch. Yep. And uh, so if people recognize the name Ed Catmull and the computer graphics project, they would later go on to become Pixar. That's right. Which they made all those wonderful movies. I think I've seen a couple of those. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, so they spun off. Lucasfilm sold a computer graphics project, right? Sold it off to Steve Jobs. Yep. Steve just Jobs. To, yeah, actually, just to Steve Jobs. He was the one yeah. that actually purchased them, and they were actually selling equipment. They weren't actually making movies. They were selling like the Pixar device, which was like a big giant computer, which was very expensive. Only later did they become the Pixar that we know and love today. Right. So that's uh, pretty cool. Everybody has Toy Story and uh, Monsters, Inc. and all that stuff. They have Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan to thank. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's right. That's right. Um, <clears throat> so I think you already mentioned it, right? Carol was saying uh, instead of a dead moon, we get a li- living, breathing planet. Yep. Um, and then we cut to Kirk... Uh, Kirk and the boys for a reaction to that. And uh, I found it, I found it interesting. Kirk looks to Spock right. for a reaction <laughs> rather than, because rather than look to McCoy, right? Because what's, what's Spock going to say? Uh, yeah, but exactly. he does give us, he does give us a, a, a fascinating, yep. which I do love. So, um, so before the reaction shot, yeah. I have a problem, problem. with Carol. Oh, okay. What did she ever do to you? So she says, instead of a dead moon, a living, breathing planet capable of sustaining, quote, whatever life forms we see fit to deposit on it. Mm-hmm. Do you not see anything wrong with that? It's They're basically saying, hey, we just created this planet and we'll put whatever we want on it. It's our planet. Ooh, you're getting very political right now. A little bit, because I feel like, you know, we're in the future here. We're in the 23rd century, and we don't we don't subscribe to these things anymore. Like, we're the Federation. We come with open arms. And here she's clearly stating that we're going to create this planet, and we're going to put whatever we want on it. So she's making a, yeah, she's getting all judgy, right? It's not even judgy. It's almost like, yeah, we'll we'll put whatever life forms we want on it, whether it's criminal or alien or someone we don't like. It would have been funny if 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 she said with a wink and a nod, uh, just like that time you dropped Khan on SETI <laughs> Alpha, huh, Kirk? Wink. <laughs> um, and I feel like I'm wondering if the line is even supposed to be a wink and a nod to the fact that Kirk deposited life forms on another planet. I, I never thought about it until just now. I think it might be. It's a little, you know, tying tying everything back, a little right. tie back, throwback. Um, uh, so, so yeah. So, kinda, well, you know what? Continuing, I guess, you know, I, I totally get that. You know, it's, it's, there's, um, you, know, you hate to say, well, she's playing God, right? Because obviously right. Genesis and the biblical and all this stuff, but it, but in a way, to your point, you know, she seems to be playing God in such a way, in, in, in a bit of a way, like yeah, yeah. whatever we decide to put on it, right? Exactly. Um, so I'm with you. Um, I have a question. Uh, as, Carol, as Carol continues on, um, 
she you know says that this simulation represents the merest fraction of the potential yes um, and then she says should the federation wish to fund these experiments to their logical conclusion um so i think she's playing you know the logical card she she's probably knows the, there's some vulcans. The vulcans she's probably some vulcans on that science bureau yep um but i i did uh the the note about funding surprised surprised me because aren't we at this point uh there's no more money being so i have a yeah i have a exactly. couple i had i have a couple of comments and we'll take it a line further and i want to actually go back to her first line after but you know you you you're absolutely right to fund these experiments and then she goes on to say when we consider the cosmic problems of population yeah i get population mm-hmm. but she says in food supply like I thought things like disease and food, like I thought those things had all been solved. You know, there was no money because we now are a society of exploration and discovery and there's no need for money. Like we give you everything you need, like with the food replicators and all that kind of stuff. Like isn't like that. I know there's money in the Star Trek universe because obviously in DS9, you know, they, they go to quarks and they, they talk about gold press latinum and there is a need for money in a certain, but I think for the Federation, like, wasn't that all not needed anymore? Right. Especially when you're talking about, uh, funding a science experiment. Right. right? So it should just be like, I just need approval, not funding. Yes. Uh, And maybe she's implying, I'm going to give it, you know, give her, give her an out. Maybe she's implying funding by, could you loan us a ship? You know, and maybe, really and maybe that's what it is. is. Yeah, maybe that's what they're talking about. But yeah, it's, it does it does start to bring up some of the, um, you know, maybe this is just something the Marcuses like to do is call out the dark underbelly of the Star Trek universe, right? The uh, David's all over the military, you know. And, right. Uh, he's got all these problems with the military. Carol's calling out <laughs> these you know problems that we thought weren't didn't exist anymore. Right. Population yeah. and food. So maybe and, this stuff is just the Federation's been you know glossing over it all and it's all you know propaganda <laughs> and, and that and that could be you know exactly what yeah is there population problems there could be on some planets could there be food shortages on some planets as well of course there could be i think i was getting into the larger issue of i know in like they talk about it in next generation and they talk about it in some of the other series and the books and the comics about like that those are no longer a thing they and, solve those problems. Right. But I feel that, like... Maybe that's post. Maybe that's post, you know, this this era. Right. I, I feel like, you know, and I've, I've made this comment a couple times during, you know, minutes is like, I feel like we bring things from the time that this was made into the movie, such oh. as, you know, the exit signs and the fire extinguishers and the comments about the, you know, that there's, you know, the food shortage and the population overcrowding and... I feel like things from the time period are bleeding in a little bit to the dialogue into the into the into the movie a little bit. Gotcha. A little little eighties social commentary. Right. Right. So I'm gonna back up to the beginning line. Yep. And she says the reformed moon simulated here represents the merest fraction of the Genesis potential. If this is the mirror, and I'm, I'm, this is no by, by no means a tiny thing to reform a moon into a brand new planet, then what potential is there if this is just the merest fraction? 
like uh, reorganizing social. universes, like galaxies. Right. Solar systems. Now you sound like McCoy. I do. I'm like, I, I hear it in my head and I'm like, oh my God, I am. I'm McCoy. Like, but I, I, I read that line and I see it in the movie and I'm like, well, what potential, what more could be done? Like what, obviously it could be, you know, perverted into a weapon. I was just going to say, do you think she's like, and, uh, you know, you could drop this on Kronos and, uh, take care of our Klingon problem. But I just found that line sort of interesting that, you know, oh, reforming a moon? Bad. That's the tiniest of things this thing does. Like, interesting. Re- like, really? Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, give me something to think about. Jeez. <laughs> what was she implying there? All right. So that concludes her proposal. Thanks for your attention. And then Spock's first reply is he says it literally is Genesis. And I... That gave me pause a little bit. Uh, a Vulcan using the word literally. Yep. So that's that seems to be just like you know a double whammy, right? If you're going to use the word literally, got to use it right. Don't use it figuratively. You know. Yep. That, that we that's that's going on all over the place these days. Um, but, but when you say when a Vulcan says uses the word literally, literally. yeah. So you actually <laughs> so I actually had to go look up. Uh, I'm like, if a Vulcan saying literally, he's not talking about Genesis in the Bible. <laughs> so I had to go look up the definition of Genesis <laughs> just to be sure. And the definition of Genesis is the origin or mode of formation of something. So Spock is literally talking about the definition of Genesis, of Genesis. not the biblical reference, not the biblical reference of Genesis. Right. <laughs> but anyway, just thought there was a, that's a fun little. Yep. And and Kirk even follows it up. The power of creation. Yes, he's so they're so philosophical. Yes, the power of creation. Um, and, but of course, this this whole upcoming conversation is you know the philosophical core oh, yes. of, the, this, of the movie, right? This is where McCoy goes batty. Right. Yeah, and the morality of the film. Yes. And, um, I think we had the, you know, we talked about the conversation between Kirk and Spock in Spock's quarters was like the emotional core of the film. You know, this becomes this, this, these couple of minutes here become this kind of uh, the, the moral code of the film, as it mm-hmm. were, the core of the film. Um, it's uh, they're just setting all this stuff up for all the chaos to ensue coming up. Right. Yeah. Um, so I had talking about the, the demo film, um, the, the I want to talk about the the music a little bit, the the soundtrack, because um, I found some interesting stuff um, that uh, you know there's some there's there's a little bit of music as 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 they're playing the, the thing, but it's it's mostly just sounds, right? Right. Um, as the moon is forming and the the you know the flames are are racing around the moon. And, yep. Um, so I found out that the there was a very specific instrument used to create a lot of those sounds. Um, it's called a blaster beam. Oh, how cool does that sound? It sounds very Star Trekky. <laughs> yes, but it is actually a an instrument um, that was used in other films that we know. Um, it was originally used in the motion picture, and it was used to make all of the sounds that you would associate, you and I would associate listeners associate with V'ger. 
Every time oh, we, okay, we yes. The, we cut to there's all this kind of brown. Yep. Uh, that was a, a terrible <laughs> impression, but uh, uh, but basically, with the blaster, with the blaster beam is it's a it's an electronic instrument. Um, it consists of it's a like a 12 foot long metal beam that is strung with wires, uh, kind of like you know, like a guitar almost, right? Except this thing's huge, um, and it has you know ele electric guitar pickups on it to pick up the sound, and then you play the instrument by either you know striking the, the strings um, with you know pipes, <laughs> sticks with your hand, wow. uh, or they drag stuff uh, along. Uh, along the beam to make all these terrifying sounds. Yep. Um, I think one of the one of the objects they described they use as artillery shell casings was another another thing that they used to make these sounds. Um, I will post on uh, Facebook uh, on the Listener Federation some links to the blaster beam in action because uh, there's actually been like a I guess a concert done with the oh, blaster okay. beam and it's. If you're a Star Trek fan, you could probably get through it. If you're not a Star Trek fan, you will want to like claw your ears out because <laughs> it is it is not a not a pretty sound, and um, but it's it's really cool and I, and I I like it more for the all the you can totally hear the V'ger sounds, um, but one of the other things that it's been used for the blaster beam um, was it was used in uh, uh, Star Wars Episode Two, the Attack of the Clones. Uh, okay. Do you remember the scene where Django was chasing uh, uh, Kenobi oh, the, uh... in the asteroid field? Yes. <laughs> that. I mean, if if we ever get invited to, if we ever get a chance <laughs> to be on uh, Attack of the Clones, that would be the minute I would request would to be uh, because that's, <laughs> because of that sound effect when those seismic charges detonate, yep. it goes like you know it explodes and then it's dead. There's like there's no noise when it explodes. And then you get this concussive, yep. and then you know, everything shatters, and, and I'm like, "Oh man, that's so awesome!" And I, I think it's because, in my heart, I can hear the voice of V'ger in those explosions. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, blaster beam. That was uh, uh, again. I'll, po I'll post. I'll post a link uh, so people can check it out because it's uh, it's pretty fun. It's a cool instrument. Very cool. Well, I think yeah. uh, I think James Horner. Uh, used it for this movie, and he also used it for another movie that uh, he had done, which has similarly scored, which is Battle Beyond the Stars. Oh, Dave, we're going to talk about Battle Beyond the Stars coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a little preview for those who don't know it: if you want, if you love the soundtrack to Wrath of Khan, you should go listen to the soundtrack of Battle Beyond the Stars, <laughs> and you'll go, "What? Wait, what?" <laughs> Um, but we'll talk about, I, I, I have some of the, I've, I got some notes on that for some, some upcoming minutes. Um, we could talk about some of the, the similarities between those two soundtracks. Um, but yeah, so good stuff. <laughs> music, music and sound effects of Wrath of Khan. Nice. Um, so was that, did that get us to the end? I, I might've, I, sorry, I kind of jumped in. No, nope, I, I think, think we did. I think they they talked about uh, you know Spock saying literally Genesis, Kirk, mm. the power of creation, and then you know Spock asking the question, you know, have they proceeded? And gotcha. you know, I think it's we'll we'll know next minute what uh, what they are actually proceeding to. Right. Right. Okay. All right, sir. Well, then, shall we wrap it up? I think we shall.
right? The weekend is calling. Uh, so in the meantime, everyone, you can find us online. Um, uh, we're on Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook uh, at the Rathacon Minute Listener Federation on Facebook. Feel free to uh, join the group and continue the discussion about all things Star Trek. You can also drop us a note at podcast at rathaconminute.com. Um, and uh, we haven't done this in a while. It's Friday. So let's. Uh, I'd like to give a little shout out to... Um, uh, the Star Wars Minute guys, uh, Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson, they're the ones that started this whole thing uh, many years ago with um, with the uh, Star Wars Minute, yep. and it's uh, since grown into uh, quite a franchise. Um, we, we've uh, had the pleasure of doing this and having a lot of fun with it. And, oh, yeah, uh, definitely. There's lots, yeah, there's lots of other um, groups that are, are doing their favorite movies and movie franchises. Um, I'm not going to list them all off, but you can find them uh, on the web at moviesbyminutes.com. Yep. Um, and, uh, definitely recommended you check them out. There's, uh, uh, people are doing, they're doing great stuff. They're, they're doing these, these, these kind of fun analysis that we're doing. There's uh, folks doing, uh, looking at the art of making a film, uh, you know, minute by minute. And, and, uh, um, I think it's, it's been pretty cool. I've, I've actually learned some stuff listening to, uh, some of the other minutes and been having a lot of fun with it. So highly recommend that everybody check them out. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff out there. For sure. So, all right, everyone, we will be back on Monday then uh, with Minute 46 of Star Trek II here at the Rathacon Minute. Have a good weekend. Fascinating. <laughs>